Hi, this is Laura. And this is Nikki with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Laura, who are we talking to today? Nikki, today we're talking to Shannon McNabb, and I am so excited. I really think she's going to provide such great info and value for our listeners, especially for those that are in the surface design world. Shannon McNabb is a left-handed, left-brained surface designer living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her love of both art and numbers has allowed her to license and sell her designs, as well as teach other artists how to build a thriving business. She tackles confusing topics like finding clients, productivity, pricing, and she breaks them down to make them easier to understand, because she believes that no one's a better advocate for your art than you are. Welcome to the Stardust Society, Shannon. We're so excited to have you here. And I am so excited to be here. (laughs) We think you are such an amazing example of a Stardust that really didn't let fear or procrastination get in the way of starting and succeeding in a creative business that you love. First of all, could you share a little bit with our listeners about how you got started in surface pattern design? Sure. It was actually a really long and winding journey because after graduate school, where I that's actually where I learned about patterns. I took every elective I could in the fibers department, even though I was a graphic designer. Um, <laughs> I left school and it was actually right at the 08 um, recession. So it was really hard to find full-time work. Great and timing. <laughs> it was terrible <laughs> timing. And so I was doing basically either part-time graphic design jobs that I could find. I worked at a scrapbook store to make ends meet. And then on the side, I was creating patterns. And I started by selling them on Etsy. And this was like way back in the day when Etsy was small, still quaint, and (laughs) not at all like it is now. And that's actually how I got my start. And for the next several years, even though I then went on to be um, a graphic designer in corporate America for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. I still did patterns on the side the whole time. Let me ask you real quick how you sold patterns on Etsy. Like who was buying them? Were they purchased as clip art kind of things or... Yeah, it was basically, um, I I come from the scrapbook world. Mm -hmm. I've been scrapbooking probably since I was like 12. And so when I found out that there was digital scrapbooking, I was like, this is amazing. I know how to use Photoshop and Illustrator. And so I started selling, you know, packs of like five to eight patterns that would be on an eight and a half by 11 or 12 by 12 sheet that they would get as a digital download. Okay. So I come from the crafting world, too. I used to be a designer for Hero Arts rubber stamps and doing projects for them and doing publications in that stamping world. So I totally get the the um, obsession that we get over our supplies and our products. And then the fact that you could move it digital. How cool is that? Yes. And I am very familiar with hero arts. I adore, I had so many trays of stamps from them (laughs) when I was scrapbooking still. Now, again, obviously everything's digital on my end. Like I don't, I don't really have that many physical supplies left in my Mm -hmm. stash because I just stopped using them. But yes, I, I love Someday I'm going to con Marie mine out of my house. It just hasn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you are. Sure you are. So, so how did you go from having the, um, the patterns on Etsy while working in the more corporate design world to doing what you're doing now? Well, basically after two years of corporate America, I was like, I hate this. I'm always super stressed out. I want to work for myself. Oh, you're so lucky that you figured that out in two years. It took me 10. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't think my stomach could have handled 10. (laughs) I had so much anxiety from working corporate America that I would just, yeah, especially the holidays because I worked for a retailer and it just, and it was the e-marketing department, which I know, Nikki, you have 
um, some background in uh, marketing and, and email marketing specifically. So yes, you know yes, all about that. I do. I do. <laughs> so how did you how did you make the switch? So my husband, who is a game designer, supports us and basically has since I stopped um, working corporate. Does he and, have an older brother? <laughs> he does, but he's married. Does he have a single dad? <laughs> no. Okay, I'm sorry. Carry on. Carry on. And so when I, you know, was like, I really want to go out on my own. And he was like, go for it. Um, I mean, we met in art school, so he's always been very supportive of my art. And he couldn't be prouder of where I am today. And so from that, like I started in graphic design because it's what I knew. And I had kind of a few clients that I could pick up really easily. So Mm -hmm. I kind of split my time between doing service pattern design and the graphic design because that was what made me more money. Um, But I hit a wall a couple years in um, doing mostly digital scrapbook design and then a little bit of graphic design where I couldn't pass. I think it was like either twelve or $16,000 mark for the entire year of income, which, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, my husband provides for us, but I have big dreams and goals. And <laughs> I didn't want, I wasn't happy with that. Right. And so I was like, you know what? I've always heard of this thing called Surtex, which is a trade ah. show in New York. And I, dang it, I want to do surface design full time and I'm going to show at Surtex. And so middle of 2016, I quit everything else, focused solely on surface design, and then showed for the first time at Surtex in 2017. That's fantastic. Wow. I remember the videos that you did while you were you were doing live videos from the show. Yes. Yeah. So and I didn't I didn't do that the first year, but the, the next yeah, couple those, of years. Yeah, yeah that I, was fantastic. <laughs> well, so and that's the other funny part is when I got started. There was not a lot of information out there about trade shows. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I gobbled up everything I could, every blog, every webinar that was happening. I did it all, but there still wasn't enough. And so something that was really important to me was to kind of track my progress and kind of give everybody the things that I learned as a newbie. And so that kind of started my journey of towards being a teacher in this space Mm -hmm. is because I wanted that information and it wasn't out there. So I wanted to give it to everyone else. And you're so generous with your information. Like I, I, I'm a part of your sketch design repeat group on Facebook. And I love um, how much fabulous information that you provide because we are, a lot of us are just starting out and we are in that space and we're looking for that information and can't find it. And so you found that gap where you know, we all need that information or able to provide it. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. And and like, I felt the exact same way when I got started. And once, you know, like I started giving information about trade shows and like went deeper into surface design, I felt that there was such a gap in knowledge in so many aspects. Like we got the whole pattern design illustration thing nailed. There are so many amazing, um, teachers on Skillshare and, you know, teaching those wonderful classes, how to make a pattern, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That information is there. But the business side, I felt was totally lacking. And I don't come from a business background. You know, I went to art school, (laughs) for goodness sake, right? (laughs) I didn't learn this stuff. So it was important to me to kind of bring my experience to the table and like share from my newbie roots all the things I've learned, you know, finding buyers, reaching out to them, pricing artwork, all those kind of things that aren't really talked about in our industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as as we found out last night, Shannon, you and I went to the same grad school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, although it was fantastic in so many ways, I don't know about your program. It was different than mine, but I didn't learn anything practical about how to take all the amazing things I learned from amazing professors but how to apply it in the real world. So you get out there, you're done with school, you're trying to figure out what to do, and you come up against a wall. Now, when I got out of school, there was no internet, so I couldn't even <laughs> research all of this. So, you know, you kind of start flailing around and so many people just give up. So yeah. what what can you tell us about how to how to avoid that, how, why people give up and what kind of roadblocks to watch out for and how to work around them? So I think there are a couple of reasons that people 
kind of give up. And I would say one of the first things, and this is just kind of from a society perspective, is we live on demand all the time. Mm -hmm. Like Amazon, ship it to me in 24 hours, you know, DoorDash, head to my, you know, favorite place and bring it to my house in an hour, especially COVID. I did so, we did so much door dashing in the past year. It's insanity. Oh, thank God for door dash. <laughs> you know, and so there's that like immediate satisfaction. Instant that gratification. Is so, it's so prevalent in so many aspects of our lives. And so even though we don't necessarily think about that from our art, I do think that that is a factor. And kind of along the same lines, as much as I love Instagram, it's my favorite social media platform. There is a lot of comparison that goes on. And I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. Like even today where you see other people and all the beautiful things that they're creating and all the deals they're getting and the product that's going out. And you're just like, oh gosh, what about me? I'm, I'm so far away from, from where they're at. How could I possibly get there? Right. But Instagram is basically like a highlight reel of our best moments for the most part. And so what you don't see is like, you know, how much hustle those people did over the past year in their own offices or the 10 years of experience that they had to get to this point. And so all the rejections they had before they got those fancy deals. It was not overnight success story. No, like I'll be the first one to say this. I have been freelancing full time for eight years. At this point, and Mm -hmm. only in the last year do I feel like I hit a reasonable income for where I live in the Bay Area. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, like, I congratulations on that, by the way. (laughs) It was a big moment. My husband and I celebrated with one of our favorite bottles of wine. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I just, I think that there is that comparison that happens and that can really make it really easy to get defeated. Um, And as far as like how to actually combat that, I am super into organizing, planning, all of that kind of thing. And so one thing I think artists need to realize is there will always be moments when we struggle. Mm -hmm. I mean, still today in my business, I mean, yes, I'm quote unquote successful. I still have really bad days and it's important to honor those, but then know how to move forward from it. And so coming up with a plan for yourself, even if it's as simple as like, hey, I'm going to take a 30 minute nap or walk my dog around the block because I'm not feeling it. And then you can come back with a fresh you know, mind and sit down and make things happen. I think creating kind of that plan to get through those slumps that are inevitably going to crop up will make it so much easier to get over those hurdles. It's like building self-care into your calendar. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's like anything else, you know, like just like working out where, you know, you have to do it regularly before it becomes habit. It's the same thing with business. You have mm-hmm. to keep doing what you need to do. And when you have like yesterday, I was working on my upcoming course and was like really not feeling it because it was writing, which is not my favorite thing. <laughs> And I was just like, okay, gave myself some space after lunch, then sat down and was like, okay, let me just start, you know, 10 minutes, see what happens. And three hours later, I had written, you know, at least half of what I needed. That's fantastic. And that's such a great way to to just get you past something you're stuck on. You just say, I'm just going to start. I don't have to finish this. I, I can just sit down for 10 minutes and start writing. And usually you find like you did, you end up going longer and get it done. Right. Well, in, in a lot of things, again, kind of going back to Instagram where it's like a highlight reel is we, a lot of times, especially as artists, we think everything we have to create has to be perfect and beautiful and ready for market and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's not possible. Like you're going to make ugly art. I still make ugly art and it may never see the light of day to a customer, to you know, Instagram anywhere. Yes. And so like kind of realizing that not everything has to be picture perfect ready can also be really helpful just for like mentally realizing <laughs> that, okay, I'm not the only one that doesn't have it together 24 seven and that's all right. <laughs> right. Right. Combating perfectionism too. Yes. Yeah. Which I mean, I always call myself recovering perfectionist, but I'm still recovering. 
<laughs> same, same. I think we will be for the rest of our lives, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> we have a Facebook group, uh, the Starter Society Facebook group. And one of the things that we hear a lot from people um, when we ask them questions on what their challenges are and what they're struggling with, a lot of people are trying to figure out if it's possible to make a full-time living out of being a, an artist or a surface designer. And money and pricing seem to be these crazy, like, taboo topics. And so, um, you know, we want to talk a little bit about it today because we know that that's something that you've been diving into a little bit. And so, first of all, what are some of the ways that people can actually get paid as a surface designer? Like, how is it possible that people could make a living doing this? Well, luckily, there are a lot of different ways. Um, I think a lot of times people, when they hear surface design, either think art licensing or like POD sites like Spoonflower and Society6. But there's mm -hmm. way more available to us than that. Um, I kind of consider surface design when, when I'm teaching to be three different avenues. So the first is buyouts. And basically what that means is a company will purchase a piece of art and the copyright of that art transfers to them. So you basically have no longer have any rights to it. Um, and because of that, you should also charge the most money for it because mm -hmm. you can no longer have it in your portfolio. Um, and then number two is licensing. And again, I think people, when they hear licensing, they just think of royalties. But mm -hmm. there's a whole other kind of market that I feel like is actually a little more common now, which is flat fee licensing, where okay. with a royalty, you get a percentage or a specific uh, dollar amount, or sometimes it's even cents, you know, like 25 cents per product. Mm -hmm. And you get that on like a quarterly basis as a check. Flat fee licensing, on the other hand, is where you get like a one-time payment up front for whatever they're licensing. And again, there's so many different factors that are involved, but... The duration of the license and where it's going to be sold and what products they're going to be putting it on, those are probably the three most important factors. So the flat fee, you're saying that's becoming more and more the norm over royalties? I have, at least in the in past, your experience, yeah, in, in my in my experience over the past several years, and again, a lot of this is from being at trade shows year over year, mm -hmm. royalties are a little bit of a harder sell. Um, now, I will say that certain industries still primarily do royalties. Like if okay. you do uh, children's illustration, like children's books, I've heard that royalties is really common there. Bolt Fabric's another one where I would say most of the time it's royalty-based. Mm -hmm. Although I still actually recently have had a couple flat fee licenses directly with uh, Bolt Fabric. So. so in your experience working with both, have you found one to be more lucrative? To me, I love them both for different reasons. Okay. I would say it really depends on the company you're working with because, you know, I've gotten, you know, $1,500, $2,000 royalty checks and I've gotten $10 royalty checks. Right, right. You know? it's, a and <laughs> it's a gamble. You don't really know you what you're going to get. You don't always know if it's a good, yeah. you know, fit. and so it's one of the things I, I talk about uh, a lot in my upcoming pricing course where there's actually several different factors that you need to know whether a royalty is good. You can't just go off of the percentage that a company gives you. That alone will not tell you if you're going to make any money. Right, because you have no idea how well they're going to sell. Or Also, I imagine, I believe that um, sometimes when somebody buys a design, it may never make it to a product. Yes. And then if you've done royalties, you're kind of screwed on that. But if you've gotten your flat fee up front, you at least got paid for it. Now, I will say with royalties, specifically in that situation, I feel like there is more of a assumption amongst all parties that it will be put on product. Okay. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean the volume is going to be there. Right. But that is one really interesting thing that I didn't even consider when I started surface design is how much of my art I would license or sell that would never see the light of day. Right. And that, that goes for buyouts that goes for licensing and the other Avenue, which is freelance work where you work directly with companies to create art that they would then put on their products, which is another fantastic avenue. 
It can help even out your income a little bit, especially if you get regular clients, because, you know, what you make one month from licensing can vary widely, you know, over the course of the year. I think when I when I looked into it for, I think, 2019, my worst month, I only made a couple hundred dollars for from surface design. Mm -hmm. But then my best month, I made over eight thousand, you know, so it's like it can be a crazy swing. And so if you have freelance work where you know, you know, every couple of months, the same company is going to come back and want something from you. It can kind of help. <laughs> so when you talk about freelance versus a buyout, how, what is the difference between those two things? Because do you retain the copyright of one versus the other or help me understand the difference? So buyouts, yes, you always will lose the copyright. Mm-hmm. Uh, freelance, I say, I would say most of the time, You'll lose the copyright, but not always. Mm-hmm. I have actually one client who I work with regularly that they do an exclusive license for a short period of time. And then after that, I could put it in my portfolio. Okay. So I think the main difference between buyouts versus freelance is buyouts is creating art that already exists. It's art that's mm-hmm. already in your portfolio versus freelance work is when they specifically come to you and say, hey, I need three patterns for makeup bags. Okay. And you would design that for them specifically. Yeah. So Laura and I were talking about this, trying to understand freelance in this, in the surface design world versus freelance in the graphic design world. Because if a client comes to me and I do a freelance job for them, it's usually considered work for hire that immediately just belongs to them because I'm creating what they've asked for. So I guess it sounds kind of in surface design like it could go either way. I would say, honestly, probably 90% of the time it will work like that. Right. Where it is a work for hire situation. Okay. But again, every once in a while, you'll find the exception to the rule where you can eventually add it to your portfolio if you want. Nice. Nice. So when it comes to money and pricing, I think one of the challenges we have as beginner surface designers is when... Let's say somebody finds you on Instagram or they find you on your website and they see some pattern that they love and they approach you and they say, hey, what is your pricing? How do people even answer that question? <laughs> well, don't, don't you just go, oh, shit. <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. What are my yes. prices? <laughs> In, like the beginning designer, that is the default setting is like the panic. <laughs> and I remember feeling that probably for the first two years before I had any idea how to create you know, like a pricing guide for myself. So Um, where do you start? So it's interesting you asked this because I actually got a DM yesterday in Instagram being like, oh my gosh, I got this inquiry from somebody. I have no idea what to do. What should I, you know, what should I say? Uh So it's funny that I'm getting asked this again. So I always say the first thing you should do is ask if they have a budget. Mm. And I will say a lot of times For whatever reason, companies don't want to give up this information. I find it silly, but I I honestly think it's a bargaining tactic for them to not tell you. Definitely Mm -hmm. a bargaining tactic. But it's always still the first thing I suggest because if they give you that information, it can be a really short conversation. If they come back and say, oh, I want $50, you know, for licensing a pattern. And you're like, that's our budget. And you can just be like, no, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that way you don't waste your time, you know, going back and forth with somebody forever and nothing comes of it. Yeah. So that's step one. Yeah. So what happens if they say, well, we need to know what your rates are. I can't disclose our budget or whatever, or we don't, right. we don't know what our budget should be. Which unfortunately is probably going to be the case most of the time. <laughs> like, well, actually, we're just, you know, trying to, to get a read on what you need. What uh-huh. you charge. Uh-huh. I hear a this lot of all times the time. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times it's also because they're approaching multiple uh, people at once. And so they're trying to right. see sometimes who can give them the best rate. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you should under undersell yourself. I just want to point Definitely. that out. <laughs> oh, we agree on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, what I suggest is giving a number that is higher than what you actually want to receive. Yeah. Negotiating Um, 101. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So something that I teach is building price ranges for yourself Mm -hmm. in pretty much every scenario that we already talked about, buyouts, 
you know, freelance licensing, all of that. Mm -hmm. And like using that as a guide for every client interaction you have. And so I always say like, kind of start at the top of the range that you've built for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that way there is a little negotiation wiggle room. Cause a lot of times clients really appreciate when you're flexible you just can't be too flexible. Right. So when you have a conversation like this, if you have taken your own advice and you had a range and for this particular type of work, you know that you're not going to take less than this or more than this. Do you stick to that range? Yes. I would say in most instances I do. There are certain companies and industries that might be, you know, like exceptions if it's someone you are just over the moon excited to work mm-hmm. with, you know, it's like your dream client. It's maybe just a touch under what you were hoping for. It might be worth it. And, you know, only yeah. you can determine that for yourself, but like for buyouts, for example, I personally at this point in my career don't want to charge less than a thousand dollars for any piece in my portfolio. Now, right, when I your started, name won't be attached to it, right? Like in a right. buyout. So yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's no, there's no additional benefit other than what you're getting paid for the artwork. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of my career, I did not charge that much. And let me tell you, there are a couple deals that I regret because those pieces are no longer in my portfolio. They've never been put on products by those companies. And so mm-hmm. there's never that like artist like, oh, yay moment when you get to see it in stores. And, you know, so it was a good learning moment where I'm like, I should have charged more. So so let me ask you about a buyout. If 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 it's a buyout, and the product gets in the stores, and even though you've sold all rights to it, you can't publicly say, hey, that was my design? It depends on the contract. I guess you negotiate that with somebody, you know? Yeah, it really depends on the contract, because there are some companies who welcome the extra kind of boost that you could potentially give them with a little bit of marketing on your own. Right, especially if you have a name that people recognize, they'll want to capitalize on that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, most of us don't have, you know, the kind of crazy follower amount like Lisa Congdon would have, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Like she would have a lot of pull if she posts something. Of course, she would probably never sell anything outright. Right. But if she did, it would be. And we would all know it was hers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, like even though most of us designers, you know, have smaller followings, it can still be good to have a little bit more visibility, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a couple more customers for them, because a lot of friends and family will buy, you know, our stuff and that's still income for them. So, and even if you have a smaller following, it may be different people that don't know about the company. Right. Like for example, um, Pyrex is one of my clients Mm -hmm. and I have sold some pieces outright to them and they're wonderful to work with. And that was an instance where they were like, yeah, here, like, you know, we're going to give you some samples. As soon as things go live on the website, you can promote away. And of course, of course I did, you know? (laughs) Yeah. What a dream. It was beyond awesome. It was definitely my, my dream client. I didn't meet them until my third year at Surtex. So like, again, it just goes to show you that it takes time. And so you have to keep at it, you know, going back to the, the whole mm-hmm. giving up, don't give up, you know, it takes years to make this stuff happen. So, and are they somebody who found you accidentally there or did you approach them? I honestly forget if they were on my list to email prior to the show mm-hmm. or not. I don't think they were, but they, yeah, they, they showed up at the booth and, you know, we had a normal normal chat interaction like we do at, at trade shows, which are so fun. I, I call trade shows are like, you know, summer camp for me. <laughs> like that's how it feels for me. Cause it's just all my friends together with awesome clients and new people. And yeah. I hope we can have ones in person again soon. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm like, I think it's about a week from when Surtex would be. Uh. <laughs> and I like the past couple of months I've so not, I haven't been missing the prep, but I have been so missing the idea of getting to spend a week in New York with, you know, my accountability partner and all of our yeah. friends together. So it's bittersweet. So you're a big fan of trade shows and all of that. And um, I know for some people starting out, the money aspect can be a, a barrier, right? Like, Very I'm not much sure so. how much it is to to actually have a display or a booth there when you're starting out. It really depends on the show. Like, Surtex is probably the most expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But I would also say there is a lot of prestige that goes with showing at Surtex because there's a lot of those, like, 
I don't want to say mass market, but you know, like Target or Crate and Barrel and like all those kind of right. people that that are more likely to go to a show like Surtex. The really than, big names. Yeah, than some and of the smaller boutique shows. But the boutique shows totally have a place of their own. Um, they right. have great clients, you know, like, and I will say as much as we all are kind of vying for those big juicy clients, you know, like anthropology, everybody wants to work with them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for the small and middle level guys, because a lot of times they're a lot easier to work with and sometimes can even pay better than those larger companies. Hmm. And basically outside of the trade show world, there's still an opportunity for you if you can't necessarily afford to pay for a booth to pitch your portfolio, right? <laughs> yes. And I love that that was how you said it. <laughs> oh, for those who don't know why we're laughing, I actually have a course called Pitch Your Portfolio. So that was that was very that was very good, Laura. <laughs> nice segue. Yes, nice segue. I happen to have taken that class <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> and for anybody who needs help in that area, I highly recommend Shannon's Pitch Your Portfolio course. Thank you, Nikki. It was it was so much fun, honestly, because you're right, Laura, trade shows are amazing. And I have gotten a lot of great clients that way, but not everybody has the ability. And especially the year we lived in last year and are continuing to live in right now where, you know, we can't meet in person and virtual trade shows are good, but they're still early. You know, they're mm-hmm. still in their infancy. So they haven't really seen the traction that I know artists have gotten in person. Yeah, people are and still so trying ha- to figure it out. Yeah. And so having other ways to reach out to companies because yes, budgets might be smaller. They might have less artwork than, you know, that they're looking for than previous years, but there Mm -hmm. are companies that still need your art. And so knowing how to find them and then emailing them and what do you say and how Mm -hmm. do you follow up and all those kind of things is really important. And I know a lot of people love focusing on the art and that's great because the art should be the, you know, the number one focus, especially when you're starting out. But once you have a certain amount of artwork, you can start that process. And that's why I signed up for that course of yours, because (laughs) I am guilty of I have a huge portfolio that I have not been submitting because when I think, okay, it's time to market and content contact people and put it all out there. I'm like, let me just draw some more instead. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great way to procrastinate. Oh, I just need to add one more piece to my portfolio before I start. (laughs) Yes. So pitching our portfolios is important. It's a great way for us to potentially grow our income. But when it comes to like income for surface designers, like when they're starting out, what can people expect to make in like a year? It really depends on your level of commitment to reach out to companies and like how many you reach out to and how frequently. Because I mean, it, it really is a numbers game. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're only reaching out to a couple people a year, you're probably not going to see much income. But if you're, you know, really diligent on, you know, finding five or 10 companies a month and reaching out, following up every month or two, you could potentially, you know, start growing your business. I will say just starting out, Mm-hmm. You know, year one, you probably won't make any deals unless you did a trade show in person or something like that, where you can get a lot of eyes on your work at once. Um, because emailing is a little bit more like a cold calling method. You don't necessarily know if the people you're contacting are going to be interested in your work. Mm-hmm. Or even and- if they're going to see your email. <laughs> <laughs> right. Could go to spam. They could get, you know busy and just put it straight in their trash or just open it and then close it and forget about it, which happens. Um, And that's why it's important to follow up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I I think the expectation, I think a lot of times when people, you know, are take all these classes and everything and, and, you know, I love all the energy that comes into the classes about building your portfolio and all that kind of stuff. But there's this aura that you can make so much money so quickly. And it's really honestly not true. It mm-hmm. takes a couple of years. And I'm not just only talking for myself uh, because I recently did a uh, in-depth survey at the end of 2020 asking mm-hmm. surface designers a bunch of questions about their businesses and especially about their income. And what we found was basically at the three-year mark, is kind of when we saw a jump in income. 
Mm-hmm. And then we saw another big jump after 10 years. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, we love that survey. And it's amazing mm-hmm. that you spent the time and energy to do the survey, put those questions together, put together a beautiful, beautiful report that you're offering to people for free. Um, and we will link in the show notes to how people can get a copy of that. But it was so, so helpful. And there's some things in there that are really encouraging and some things that are a little scary, but um, so helpful for this community. I totally agree. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, it, and honestly, the, the reason I did this is because I've been wanting to have this kind of information for our industry for the past couple of years. And I know several illustration based surveys that have gone out, mm-hmm. you know, years and years. And I was like, why isn't there one for our industry? And I know you guys will both, you know, understand this. I am a math analytics nut. And I know you guys are too. Absolutely. <laughs> and so like the more information I have, like the better I feel about where my I can take my business. And I know that same thing can help a lot of other people. And so that's why it was really important for me to do that. And I agree with you, Nikki, there was some stuff that was like, that's really awesome and encouraging. And then there's some stuff where I was like, no, oh, I was hoping for better. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. First of all, I want to say, and this is this is a great message to anyone who's listening. Shannon, you wanted a certain kind of information that you didn't see out there. So instead of just wondering about it, you said, well, let me get the information together and put it out there. So, I mean, that's another great example of what a great startist you yes. are. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, um, you don't you don't see that. You feel the need. I mean, that is one of the yeah. biggest like kind of, I feel like almost like business 101 tenets, right, is like. Mm-hmm. Fill, fill the niche. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't even know how you would begin to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just start. Oh, yeah. Honestly, just start. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just start. Just- I've, I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in one of your previous episodes. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> so for people who've read your survey and might feel a little discouraged about some of the lower numbers, what do you have to say to that? Well, I I mean, this is the first year we've done the survey, right? And the majority of people came from those who were on my newsletter list. And just over two-thirds of those are hobbyists and part-time designers. Okay. So it's not a whole representation of the industry. I mean, it can't be. It's the first year. So hopefully, Mm -hmm. as we do this year over year, it will, you know, grow and we'll get a little bit better representation. Um, But I would also say that... There's a lot of good, even though the numbers aren't great. And I, you know, like, again, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good to be gleaned from that. Like 4% of people made over $75,000. And so like, think of that as like a goal yeah, for yourself, great. you know, in a couple of years, depending on where you're at, you know, in your career, like mm-hmm. to me, think of what's possible. And like, you know, I'm super competitive, especially with myself. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. so it's like, how can I be in that, you know, like top 1% kind of thing? And like, if you have that same kind of feeling, it's a really easy way to be like, look what's possible. Right. There are people who are making really good money. Again, it's usually not just from surface design. There's multiple streams of income. Um, Another thing that we found, which I was thought was really interesting, was that the your current work situation had more of an impact than years of experience. So whether you were a hobbyist, part-time or full-time, mm-hmm. that actually was a better indicator of what income you were going to make than how many years you've been doing it, which I found really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. But also getting back to how some people might be a little disappointed by the lower numbers, I think that because you've been so focused on teaching, your audience is probably skewed towards beginners. Yes. Exactly. So that definitely influences the numbers that we're seeing. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, I want to say the average, I mean, don't quote me on this. I don't remember the exact amount, but it was the full average total income was like, I think $24,000, something like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, to a full time designer probably seems really low. But if you're just entering the industry, you know, maybe right. not doing this full time, it's like a side gig right now. That would be really good money. Now, mm-hmm. granted, you probably wouldn't make that in your first year or even couple of years. But 
it, it is all, again, all about your mindset. Um, you know, how you interpret the data says a lot about how you feel about income. And so one of the things, I, I forget who says it, but whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You may have heard that from one of our podcast episodes. We quoted that in one of our first okay. episodes. <laughs> I, think, I think it was Henry Ford. It was Henry Ford. I, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Quote people all the time, but rarely do I remember who actually said it. Uh, but so if you look at those numbers and you go, well, you know, no, I'm never going to make any income. Like, look at this. No, no one's making money. I can't make any money. You're right. You won't make any income. But if you look at this and say, okay, that's not exactly as, as much as I was hoping for, but I am seeing people who are making money and that could be me in a couple of years. That can be really, really motivating. Right. Yeah. For me, I looked at it and I saw there's such a wide range. Yes. That it kind of says anything's possible. And if you have the confidence in yourself, you know that you can be one of the higher earning ones. You don't have to be on the the other end. The main thing that I remind myself is that this is this is a long term game. This is not a short game. Like we're in it for the long haul and it takes some courage and some consistency. But just knowing that if things in that first year you're not making $50,000, that's okay. That's like not something you should expect. But maybe in three years time, four years time, five years time, you can start building up that revenue significantly and it just grows over time. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, when we were talking about failing and giving up, you know, like it's mm -hmm. giving yourself the time to make a go at this. Um, I am so, I don't remember who was the one who told me this, but when I first got into surface design, they said, you know, it'll take an average of three to five years to make any like decent strides as far as income. And I'm so glad and so thankful that I heard that, took it to heart because then when, you know, two years in, I'm like, oh, I'm only making, you know, like $20,000. It was like, that's okay because I'm still in that early phase where if I had the expectation that I was going to make a lot of money, you know, within a year, I you know, might have considered quitting, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, you're, it was going you're also right developing mindset. relationships with different companies and clients that could become repeat clients and help grow you down the road. So, and that takes years, you know, like mm-hmm. in certain situations, it took me upwards of two years of talking with a client that I first from the first time I met them to when they finally licensed my mm-hmm. art. So, and I think that's a concern some people have too, if they reach out and they might get a rejection, it doesn't mean it's a rejection forever all the time. It could just be, they don't have room for you right now. Right. Um, And I know a lot of people feel like it's, it's very personal when you get rejections because our art is so much a part of who we are, but I actually celebrate rejections now when mm -hmm. I get them and someone's like, you know what, this just isn't for us because I'm like, that means I'm not going to be wasting my time with them. And it leaves space for new clients and new people who do want to work with me. That's a great perspective. Love it. So another awesome thing that you just did, I think, right before that survey came out, you did a big blog post where you broke down um, what what you made in 2020 and how that split came about. And that was an amazing thing to share with people because everybody wants to know how much money can I make? What's involved? How do I make my money? And a lot of people are not sharing that information. So what prompted you to put yourself out there like that and share that detail of information? Well, it's funny because it's one of the things I had wanted to do after 2019, right? I wanted to do it the previous year, but I was embarrassed with my income the previous year. And a lot of it was because I'd set a goal for myself of what I was going to make and I didn't hit it for the first time in like three years. And I didn't feel ready to kind of explain the fact that I failed my goal. (laughs) Although that would also have been a really interesting thing to read. It would have, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And maybe Maybe, I'll go back and write it. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe (laughs) maybe now that you've passed that, (laughs) it'd be an interesting thing to see how you can go from a year where you didn't hit your goals to having the following year where you surpassed them. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and actually in a, a recent email, I did kind of share the past four mm-hmm. years of what my income goals were. Right. Right. And I did mention the like, I didn't yeah. hit it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something I'm actually going to talk about uh, in my Facebook group in a live coming up. So, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was one of those like uncomfortable things I wasn't ready to share, even though I really wanted to. And so 2020, I was like, I need to do that. And especially because I I don't choose a a word to guide my year every single year. Like mm-hmm. I haven't for several years, but after the year we all had last year, I really felt called to have a word. And so my word was fearless. Oh, I love Excellent. that. And for those who haven't heard it yet, we just um, released an episode all about that, about the word of the year. So. We just did. It was the one right before this one. <laughs> I might have heard about that before. (laughs) So yeah, my word is fearless for this year. And a lot of the way I'm interpreting that is being more visible and open about the things that a lot of us don't talk about and things that I too am uncomfortable with. And so, you know, like I know I've seen a lot of artists share like the the income pies on Instagram Mm -hmm. and things, which is great. But I also felt it was really important to stick a actual price, like an actual number with the pie, because just looking at a pie, yeah, that's great. But that means, you know, maybe someone made $5,000 or maybe someone made $200,000. We don't know. Right. And so to me, it was as much as it was uncomfortable to basically be like, here's how much I made. You know, like (laughs) I just was like, I need to do this. And I mean, I did actually make less from surface design in 2020 than I did in 2019. And I definitely was like, hey, guys, like, this is the truth. You know, like, not every year you're going to make as much. Um, But also, you put so much of your time into teaching and sharing and sharing knowledge. And so that showed in your income. Yes, it did. I I realized after I got out of the COVID fog that I I know we kind of all (laughs) felt right Uh in like April that a lot of my clients, you know, weren't responding to emails because they were still on furlough and things that were in the pipeline before the pandemic got totally nixed. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I had set a pretty healthy income goal for myself last year. And I was like, if I'm going to hit it, I got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly why I started Sketch Design Repeat. It's something I had literally been thinking about for three years. And so it was thanks to COVID that I actually did it. And so, yeah, basically after June, the whole rest of the year, I would say 98% of my focus was sketch design, repeat and teaching. And then I had a couple clients who, you know, gave me some projects in the fall and things. And that was great to get a little bit of surface design still, you know, to scratch, scratch that itch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Definitely. for the most part, I was primarily focused on teaching and it honestly right now is the most important thing to me because I know how, again, how much information isn't out there. And I want to to fill that gap and help other artists build their businesses. Well, and that that pivot that you made was super helpful to you for your income goals, <laughs> yes. but to so many people who need that knowledge. So yeah. And Bravo. Could- Great way to use your <laughs> Your word of the year. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, from Picture Portfolio, which I ran twice last year, and I know, Nikki, you're a student. Mm -hmm. um, I have heard from several students who not only, you know, like obviously got the knowledge and are starting their businesses, Mm -hmm. but we've had several designers go on to gain representation by agents, people like one one of my students who was in the fall session literally sold three pieces during the course. And I was just like, this is why I do this. Like, this is why I want this for every artist out there. I got a little distracted personally with um, putting a podcast together and uh, (laughs) no big deal. (laughs) Have to get back to the course. So uh, (laughs) there's actually a group that that's decided to revisit it right now. Yeah, I know. I saw that and I thought about doing that, but um, I kind of have my own plan for it. Um, We we have another episode that we maybe have just launched when this goes live (laughs) about (laughs) about doing um, challenges and doing the 100 day project. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to be reaching out 
every day for 100 days. Oh, I love it. So, Isn't that a great yeah. one? Oh, I love yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. So keep me in the loop. I want I want to see how that goes. I will. Yeah, like- I will. Definitely. Definitely. So speaking of teaching and the amazing job that you've been doing with teaching. Thank you. I heard from a little birdie <laughs> that you have a pricing course coming out. Can you share a little bit more with us about that? I I can and I do. Um, <laughs> it's called Artful Pricing and it launches next week actually for uh, for enrollment. Yeah, it's it's honestly probably my biggest passion project to date. Mm-hmm. So I actually started writing it last year before the pandemic even. It was going to be my <laughs> next I was going to do a pricing course as my next Skillshare class. Uh before this ah. was before sketch design repeat existed, is before pitch your portfolio, all of that. Oh wow. And I just kept writing and adding to it. And I was like, this is too big. <laughs> this is too big and too in-depth for Skillshare. Like I love yeah. Skillshare, but you know, nobody, nobody goes to Skillshare really to do like the super deep dive classes. Right. Um, and I'm one of those people, I'm like, I want to give you all the goods, all the information. Um, and so I am just about done with everything. And it's a five module course where I basically do a deep dive on all the different avenues we talked about earlier, uh, Mm -hmm. freelance projects, licensing, buyouts, how you price every single one of those and how you build your price guides. So when somebody asks you that question, you can actually answer it. Yes, exactly. So anytime, like if you take, if you go through the whole class, every time you get an inquiry, you won't have that like, look, panic moment. (laughs) What do I do? You won't have that anymore because you can go, I've got a pricing guide. It still will be nerve wracking. I'm not going to say you won't still have those like jitters being like, oh my gosh, did I price it right? I still have those to date, you know, like that never goes. Let me tell (laughs) you, that never goes away. I've been I've been doing web design and development for 26 years, and I still have that feeling every time I submit a proposal. Yes, it's that it's that initial like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Did I did I do that? Is it too high? Is it too too low? Is it too low? Yeah. Are they going to take advantage of me or are they going to ghost me because it's too high? Like all those things will still happen. But the information that I share, it gives you a much better sense of what is industry standards and all that. Like there's a couple of screenshots where literally I show you for buyouts and for licensing, here are pieces from my portfolio and here's the amount I got for them. Nice. So, Mm. you know, you know, I mean, granted I'm, that's only one data point. I'm only one designer, but you know, it was at least a starting place so that you can feel comfortable with what you're pricing. Cause I think one of the biggest things, especially from what we saw in the survey that we had is we are not pricing well. We need to mm-hmm. charge more for our work. Definitely. Because I think what we found was for licensing, the average price was, I think it was $332 for a piece. And for That's buyouts- That's not nearly enough. No, it's not. And buyouts, it was like 504 I think, was the average. And again, like earlier I said- I don't like to charge less than $1,000 for buyouts. And so that's that's a big jump. And so like there is so much that needs to happen. And I think one of the biggest reasons is a lot of times we guess, especially for newbies mm-hmm. who are like, I don't know what to do. You know, and we again, we found that in the survey. There was a lot of people who still guess. And so this is kind of a helpful way. You know, you go through the course. You don't have to guess anymore. Yeah. And I think people guess and they, if especially when they're new, they undervalue themselves. Correct. They have imposter syndrome. You know, they they don't think that their their work is worth that much yet because they're starting out. Absolutely. And, and they don't realize that by by giving things up for that low, they're devaluing the entire industry. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. does hurt us because the more people who charge low rates, the harder it is for everybody to ask for more money. Yeah, it's like and when people get logos designed on Fiverr for, you know, a hundred bucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I mean, one of the things I like to tell people, and I, I said this recently in an Instagram live, is especially with the surface design industry, our art has enormous value. If you think about it, like companies who buy our art, put it on their products. And guess what? It's the pattern 
or the illustration, in most instances, that's what sells the product. Right. Nobody's going to sell a plain white pillow. Yeah, or, or, or they might. But or they might, but they're not going to sell as many as with a beautiful floral pattern on it. Right. And I mean, obviously, utility is, is a selling point. You know, if something is useful, that's helpful. But for the most part, people buy something because it's pretty. Mm-hmm. And that's because of our art. And so, I mean, I know for a fact that we don't charge as high prices as like the general illustration industry or, you know, graphic design and everything. And it's a shame because our art has a ridiculous amount of value. And I think if most artists came from that perspective, I think it would be a little bit easier to say no to those terrible inquiries we get where they do ask for $50 for a pattern. Right. So in your course which is going to help educate us all so we don't do that anymore. (laughs) Do you kind of break things down into sort of where you are in your career, where beginners should start and what you can expect a little later on in your career? So we don't do kind of a deep dive on like beginner to Mm -hmm. veteran. And honestly, I think that the pricing the guide, at least when you build your own pricing guide, mm-hmm. that is a very personal thing. Like I can't necessarily speak to everyone's different situation. Right. And so course. that's why I like the guide instead of saying a specific set number, like you have to charge this. Well, if someone lives somewhere else where they have a lower, in, you know, standard of living, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. cost as much to live there. They might not want to do that. Or someone who lives in a really you know, expensive city, hello, San Francisco, (laughs) you're going to want to charge more. And so that's why it's more of a holistic approach where it's like, here's how you build your own guide. And I do obviously share my own numbers, uh, you know, to kind of give everybody a kind of a baseline. And again, I live in a very expensive area, but it's really important that you make it that it's personal for you because no one knows your situation, Mm -hmm. but you. But I wonder also, though, so um, I live in Paducah, Kentucky. It's a town of 25,000 people. The cost of living is very low, which is why I moved here from Atlanta. (laughs) Um, But if I'm charging less because my cost of living is less, how how should that be taken into consideration with sort of industry standards on a whole? Right. So I think... Just in general, I mean, we already said this, but people charge too low. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the reason is because we've just kind of like society wise, we're just used to, especially as women, like 97% of the industry is, is female. When you look at it, men versus women, we have a much harder time asking for raises and, yeah, and yeah. you know higher incomes in the corporate world and everything. And that translates to art artists as well. Right. So I think that really does play a role. And so I was trying to like the way I approach it is meeting people where they're at. Okay. And so if you are, you know, rural Kentucky and I mean, obviously a lot of People starting out won't have the experience you have, Nikki, right? right? They won't have the the decades of experience to be like, I know I should charge more, right? Right. So it's kind of meeting them where they're at and giving them permission to start where they're comfortable, even if it's lower than it should be. Yeah. But then also trying to empower them to charge more. Right. Work your way up. Right. And so, I mean, one of the things that I talk about specifically regarding location inside of Artful Pricing is it's actually a benefit to you guys if you live in a place that the cost of living is cheaper because you can likely charge much higher rates, like the same rate that I would in San Francisco. You could charge those mm-hmm. higher rates. And guess what? It, it's more bang for your buck True. because most companies are, you know, kind of at least in the U.S., West Coast, East Coast, where it is those most more expensive places. And they expect that the prices will be a little bit higher than what someone might charge in like Iowa. True. You know? And yeah. And so like it's actually a benefit because you have a little bit more room where you're like, I can charge more. And it I I get more from that because of where yeah. I live. I like it. I haven't thought mm-hmm. about it that way. 
<laughs> so what more can you share with us about the course without giving away any deep, dark secrets that, that we'll get when we, when we join the course, as I'm sure we all will. Um, but what can you tell us about, I know you said there's five modules and a little bit about how that is broken out. What more can you tell us? So it's five modules. The first one is really kind of pricing foundation because again, like not very many of us have positive relationships with money. Right. And so it was really important for me to kind of set the expectation of, you know, like you need to first look at how you deal with money, both giving and receiving it. A little, um, like mind, when I, little mindset issue. Absolutely. Mindset work. <laughs> it, I mean, I know that's a little woo, but it is so, so we important. talk about mindset on here. We yeah, do. It, it really is so important. And so that's why it's first. It's like, I don't want to do it after you've gotten all the information, right? Because you won't you won't absorb the information as well and be as empowered if you don't do the mindset stuff first. So, you know, pricing fears and, you know, like when I, when I actually did the work myself, I have a much harder time receiving money than I do giving it out, which was ah. a wake up call for me. It's, it's hard for me to ask for money. I'm the same way, actually. I get it. Yeah. And that can really help, you know, like when you're negotiating with someone being like, oh, is this me saying, you know, like I'm, I'm resisting because I have a hard time, you know, receiving money. So, but I should go with it because I know it's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be, it can be really helpful. Um, module two is buyouts and licensing where I do the deep dive and the pricing guide. Module three is freelance projects. And that is so varied because obviously you don't know what you're going to get a pro as a project. And so the way that I have, um, it's a method to kind of build out how to price or, you know, give a quote anytime someone, you know, gives you an inquiry. Oh, and did um, I also see maybe a little spreadsheet about <laughs> that? Actually better, <laughs> better than a spreadsheet. We actually, with the help of my husband, uh, who is a big nerd. Um, we love we nerds. Built, <laughs> yeah, I do too. We built pricing calculators and actually we built, we built them for buyouts Royalty licenses, flat fee licenses. And then my favorite is honestly the one for freelance projects. So nice. someone can just, you know, put in their hourly rate, put in all the, the different aspects of the project and out pops what you should ask for. And that awesome. comes as part of your course? That is included as part of the course. That's Although it's important that you watch through those modules understand before doing it. it. Yes, yes. But what a great bonus. Yes. I, I Again, like I'm such a math nerd that I was like, oh, I can include calculators. I can't wait yes. to get my hands on this. <laughs> and then the other, honestly, really like the biggest other biggest pain point that I've seen from surface designers is about contracts. Yes. And so module four is contracts and negotiation, because I know when I first started out, there's a lot of terms that I'm like, I'm not a lawyer. I have no freaking clue what this and means. Contracts are scary to people. They are. And I mean, like it's it's legalese most of the time. And so like I break that down and, you know, like there's literally a video called the basics of a contract. Nice. And I take you through, you know, like the most common clauses and what certain really like indemnification a long word that sounds really scary yeah. that, you know, like really isn't, but you need to know what it means and need to know what needs to be in that clause, you know, like things like that. Um, and it's, it's awesome because one of my beta students, um, mm -hmm. her husband is a lawyer. <gasps> Ooh, that was and, helpful, huh? Well, it, and it's funny cause like I didn't, I didn't ask for any help. Um, cause I actually didn't realize it until after yeah. she was in the course yeah. that her husband was a lawyer. And so she told me that there was only one little thing that he was like, oh, I would just add this. And so I'm actually going to be adding that to Perfect. the course. Cool. But everything else, he was like, yep, you're right on. And it was like that like validation. Oh, that, that validation like, feels lawyer. good. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but yay, I've actually, you know, in the in the years of experience that I have, like, I've actually gotten you it You learned right. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then obviously negotiation is really important. And I mean, we already talked about that you know, a little bit earlier, like always ask for more than what you actually want. So you have wiggle room and, yeah. you know, invoicing the clients. When do you do that? How do you do that? All that kind of stuff. And then the last module is about long-term growth. Um, multiple streams of income is something I firmly believe in as long as you do it right. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, that's another reason I had the 2020 income post that I wrote about myself because I have multiple streams of income. And so I kind of walk you through 
you know, how to do that responsibly as a business owner Mm -hmm. and then certain types of work to avoid other common situations and just kind of like a nice little wrap up for the course. Sounds amazing. And it starts, (laughs) it starts when? It is open for enrollment from February 1st to the 5th. Okay. Uh, And there is a, actually I'm doing um, a pricing workshop directly related to the course launch. And that is, you know, free to join. Obviously, I tell you about the course at the end, uh-huh. but um, I'll give you, you know, like lots of good insights for that. Uh, and so that happens on Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. So it's the second and the third. Um, I love going live. So like I and Q&As are like my favorite thing in the world. And so we basically like I finish up and almost always I spend at least like 30, 45 minutes afterwards answering questions because I just love it. Which is great. <laughs> which is great. So I think this is so perfect for our listeners. We're going to put a link in the show notes so that they can go sign up for that workshop. How amazing. And learn even more about pricing because it's just this big, scary thing that doesn't have to be so scary, right? Yeah, exactly. And I have three different times and and dates on purpose because, again, I love being live. And I know I hear from a lot of people who are like in Australia or another place where a lot of my lives are when they're asleep. It was important for me to be able to do like ones that everybody could at least be awake (laughs) for one of the times. So because to me, there's magic in showing up live. You know, like I'm, I'm a big proponent of of making the commitment to, you know, doing things. I mean. There are times when I'll be like, oh, nope, can't do it. I have to watch the replay of, of workshops that I've been a part of. But if you can show up live, it's it's amazing. And there is going to be a bonus involved specifically with Artful Pricing if you join live. <laughs> Excellent. Just so you know. <laughs> well, we'll make sure to share that link with everybody. And also the links. So I assume if you go to that workshop, you're going to automatically be given the information about signing up for the full course. Um, But we're also going to provide people with links to just to your general website, to Sketch Design Repeat, and to your industry guide. Yeah, your survey that's going to that is just so amazing. I was so impressed with it when I was looking through it and so much quality information. Yes, Laura, the financial geek, really, really enjoyed all those charts. That means a lot. (laughs) For those that don't know, uh, I do come from a corporate finance background, so I am totally a numbers chick. When I see numbers and charts, I get really excited. (laughs) Me too. And honestly, like I could have probably been an accountant if I wasn't a designer. Um, So like I am too. My one worry was like, am I giving everybody too much, you know, like too much detail and numbers and everything. So I dig it. <laughs> the good thing is that for the people who maybe the the charts are a little overwhelming, you have a nice summary of each one. Yeah. So that was really yeah, helpful because still everything I, down I'm, and- I'm not quite as geeky in that way as Laura is. So I was like, <laughs> wait, didn't we see this chart before? Oh, no, this is the same thing, but from a different angle. Let me read yes. the summary. Yeah. <laughs> and it was I, yeah. perfect. It's the best balance of both. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, it wouldn't have been possible without my VA. She she designed the whole thing and then I put in my analysis. Well, so. you guys <laughs> did a great job. Well, we want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your knowledge today. Um, And we just know that the work you're doing makes such a big difference for artists, especially those that are just getting started. Thank you so much for being here with us, Shannon. I've had a blast. Yeah, it's been super fun. I could keep talking with you ladies for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's your turn. Join us in the Stardust Society Facebook group and tell us what your pricing and money mindset challenges are. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. You can learn more about the podcast and read today's show notes by going to stardustsociety.com slash Shannon McNabb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>